that, you know, it's like how kids talk about baseball players. That's how we talk about albums. We're just trying to postpone mortality. They need that to fill some kind of void that they have. The search for the Yeti. He's a duck. <laughs> well, don't interfucking rough. We're just one wish away from you, kid. It's the Smashing Pumpcast. I'm Frank Garcia Hale. I'm Pat O'Brien, and well, we made it. We made it all the way to 2005. And today, we're talking about the first solo album by one Billy Corgan called Mm -hmm. The Future Embrace. The Future Embrace. We're here. We did it. We're here. Remember when 2005 felt like such a futuristic sounding year you know like oh yeah it i mean still feels recent but it's 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 not this was what 17 years ago i'm constantly thinking that the late aughts and the 2010s feel like oh yeah that was just a couple years ago you know just a couple of years ago but then it's like no that was um a very long time ago yeah you old man um you old bastard old man (laughs) take a look at my life (laughs) I'm listening to Billy Corgan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was very excited to, when we started this podcast, this is one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but like, uh, I liked this album when it came out, but you know, there are some blind spots mm-hmm. and um, it was really cool with the context of what we've been covering. Yes to cover this now and i was excited for that possibility mm-hmm. so yeah same yeah i also liked it when it came out i i remember going to pick it up at the store at record theater my local um one of the many now closed uh record, record stores theater? record theater it was called in buffalo there they had a couple huh. locations big music store big used section um they did sell vinyl too like new i remember seeing siamese dream on vinyl like in the like you know early aughts like pre-reissue um they had they had a select thing of like newer vinyls but um that's where i got it from our daring i got my my original it's back home but the vinyl pressing it wasn't original, it was a reprint, but mm-hmm. I got it from the Virgin Mega Store oh, yeah. in yeah. Florida. Right. They used to have in two thousand one. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting time, yeah, because the vinyl, you know, uh, uh re- revolution. No, not a revolution. Comeback of vinyl hadn't really happened yet, but it was in its infancy, and I think uh high fidelity had a lot to do with Oh, that probably because that's what got me into it. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, oh, I want to be uh, like uh, Rob in this movie. And well, sure. Looking yeah. at it now, I'm like, oh, no wonder uh, I had so many problems as a <laughs> as a kid, <laughs> as a young man. Yeah. Uh, that's not yeah. somebody to model yourself after. You no, shit. definitely not. Um, definitely not. Great movie though, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I did pick this up and listen to it. And I remember actually listening to it with my friend Al Dietz, who is a great guy, a musician, um, super creative person. And I, he, you know, I feel like this was the epitome of kind of like, I was psyched on it, but I didn't really have anybody to share it with. You know, like I mentioned yeah, on Patreon, our, you know, I had a friend, my friend Megan. Uh, alerted me one night that hey Billy Corgan's on Letterman tonight. You better run home. 
So I did. Like people would like help me. Like my friend came to the store <laughs> with me to go buy the album, but like I you know, so the so you know, having interested people have to share it with and to talk about it with is huge, but like you said, uh like having really studied like everything that came before this with a more attuned mature musical ear um yeah really changes it so uh, yeah i listen to this a lot of times uh, many many times all the way through um me too and it's very very rewarding experience and i even have a little sort of um trilogy idea that has come to mind that uh Basically, while listening to this, I kept thinking I had a very clear, like, you know, trilogy of albums that I kept thinking about, which is Adore, Future Embrace, and Seer, the album. I w- that is so funny because I did make Adore connections on this, and I can, and there are Seer seeds, yeah. if you will, even though he kind of likes to dismiss that but you can't deny it i mean it's there yeah um, yeah has he come I, I, he says that that's not um that's yeah not he true doesn't or, like he doesn't like the comparisons he's like oh it's just electronic but right. i listening to this and knowing the the bigger picture and stuff i thought the same exact thing Pat. yeah it's so funny especially with adore because there are certain songs that i'm like this feels like it's a, a door. Uh, there are certain ones that could go side by side with the door and certain seer Absolutely. tracks. And I know what Billy means by that because he's, he's referring to sort of an easy knee jerk, like um, it's a reductive, like, yeah. Yeah. Impression of the album as like, Oh, this is kind of your um, electronic thing or whatever, which I don't, I think if you look at all three of those in the, con- in terms of being rock albums that are, playing with sounds that relate to the other albums i think they do go together i know what he means by that because it can be in but i'm not saying it lightly you know what i mean like yeah, i'm saying no, I, it as someone who loves sierra who and who thinks of this future embrace album very much as a rock album because it's not you know i don't know it's it, it, we'll get into it but it, yeah well i mean you said this in the Patreon uh, commentary uh, about how that this feels like modern rock. Yeah, this this now, like I feel like 17 years ago, people were like, oh, Billy Corgan's back and this time it's an electronica album or something. But now yeah. this is what we would, this the, the, the definition of rock has expanded to the point where this fits easily into that definition. And yeah, once again, we uh, have Mr. Corgan um, uh, ahead of the time. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's just like, that's really what this is. And I think that's what makes me appreciate this album even more listening to it now. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what you said, with my musical palette being a little bit more wider. Yeah. Um, I have more experience with so many different types of music and listening to the bands that influenced him, especially mm-hmm. Bowie, like yeah. uh, going through like Bowie, uh, Cure, Bauhaus, uh, Echo and the Bunnymen, like, uh, you know, A New Order. Like there are these bands that I didn't quite have the knowledge of their discography and really getting into it mm-hmm. until like, you know, n- now. Right. Uh, and yeah. I've been listening to it so much in the past month that I'm just like, I keep finding something cool and new to 
to talk about, you know, mm-hmm. or to uh, to think about. But before we uh, get into all that stuff, speaking of Patreon, yes, uh, we have some people to thank, Pat. We do, yes. Um, well, first off, we want to thank Matt Billington for hooking us up with uh, extra tracks for this Future Embrace era stuff mm-hmm. that we're talking about. We're actually going to do another episode where we cover some unreleased stuff. Um, yeah. So he, yeah. Thank you to Matt for hooking us up with that. Yeah, because there's some, uh, there's a handful of live tracks that they that were only played live, but not uh, recorded, or at least that we know of, that weren't released as recordings. So today we're gonna go over the album proper plus Tilt. Yes, which was yeah. kind of part of the album. Yeah, it was but, released um, with it. Yeah, so we want to thank our new patrons, Tess. Thank you so much for joining up. Jeremy Price and Jonas 22. Thank you all so much for joining the Pumpcast Patreon. If you're out there and you like the show and you're interested and you want extra stuff and bonus commentaries and bonus podcasts and audio visual uh, experiences, consider joining up. It's fun. We're doing yeah, we're doing a lot of fun stuff on there. So thank you all for for uh, supporting the cast. That's right, and you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash smashingpumpcast, cast is spelled K-S-T, and you can find us on the socials on Instagram at smashingpumpcast, cast is spelled K-S-T, and on Twitter at pumpkinspodcast, and podcast is spelled normal there. Yes. We're also on TikTok, uh, which is smashingpumpcast, K-S-T. We're getting a little bit better about posting there. Usually it's just a you know, album or uh, episode announcements. And uh, you can find our link tree there where you can take you to uh, other links like to buy merch or to buy me a coffee. So if you don't want to sign up for Patreon, but you do want to support the cast, you can just throw us a few bucks there. No big whoop. Yep. Uh, just if you think that the, the show has any value whatsoever. And speaking of Matt Billington, thank you for your... A generous donation on buymeacoffee.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Pat. Let's uh, let's go back to the future. Embrace. Let's do it. All right. So this album was released June twenty first, two thousand five, on Reprise Records, Martha's Music, produced oh. by Billy Corgan and Bjorn Thorsrud. How do you how do you say Bjorn Thorsrud? Yeah, I I, I always said it wrong, but uh, yeah, the late. Bjorn Thursred, who unfortunately passed this past year. Um, yeah, one of Billy's main collaborators yeah, over collaborators. the years. Yeah, that's another thing, too, that I was noticing just in the liner notes. So much had changed for in Billy's world musically with the band and the bands breaking up and, you know, all this stuff. But you look at the people who actually worked on this record and... Um, yeah, it's kind of like a usual cast of characters that he had worked with for years and years on so many yeah. different things. So there is this, like, it, this felt like a kind of wild, inconsistent time with Billy from the outside perspective. Yeah. But, yeah, there I it, I did just note that there was, like, this consistency of the people actually making the, the product. You know, they were all, all old collaborators for the most part. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Zwan broke up in September of 2003. Right. And, you know, this came out in the summer of uh, 2005. So there was that kind of period there where it was like, well, what's he going to do? And then famously, well, before we get into that, uh, October 20, uh, 2000, 
October 2004 to March 2005 at Pumpkinland Studios is when uh, they recorded this, or he recorded this, and uh, he did the track breakdown on She Knows Media, and uh, just thanks to spcodex.wiki and spfc.org so that we could find this stuff. And one of the things he says about this album is, I just wanted this to be beautiful, though I suppose it's my own definition of beauty. I didn't want to be shocking or loud or provocative just for the sake of it. I wanted it all to emanate from a place of beauty. Pretty cool goal. And I, yeah, I think he achieves that. I, I do remember li- following... See, this was an interesting time too because Billy's sort of online presence and the sort of dialogue with the fans was was kind of in i don't know if it was in full swings pre-social media but he you know he had his live journal but he also had his website which i remember was blue in color and around this time before this came out he was giving updates on it and he was like um i'm working i'm hard at work on a rock record because I think it had gotten out there that he was going to do like a post Zwan like kind of a very acoustic-y yeah. solo album um, which is maybe just which what was, people assume when you say you're going to do a solo album and you were in a rock band but yeah um, and around a little bit after this too there was the, or around this time was the Chicago Kid stuff too which was all acoustic right. mm-hmm. uh, but that'll we'll cover that uh, down the road um, yeah. uh, when we swing back around yeah, yeah. So I do remember him kind of, you know, in real time teeing up this album and, you know, in that post Zwan pre future embrace era. So obviously, Billy, this is his solo album. This is his first venture out that is not part, technically part of a band, though, as I was saying, you know, he did produce it with some familiar collaborators. But this is what Billy is saying on um, him and Jimmy and their collaboration he says the way we look at it is me and him together it's pumpkins we were the bulk of the all the recording for the pumpkins except for a door and even trying to be in zwan it became almost like a farce where other band members would be saying that sounds like the pumpkins and we'd be like no shit we were spending energy trying not to sound like we sound so we've kind of just come to the conclusion if we're going to work together it's pumpkins because that's the sound when you hear us play together that's the sound so the other thing that's worth very notable about this album is that its release coincided with billy taking out this full page uh newspaper ad announcing i want my band back i want to reunite the smashing pumpkins um yeah so th- this was a one-two punch of here's my first solo album and by the way i want my old band back which we could talk about a little bit more after we do the review the album or you know get into the album because i have some thoughts about that mm-hmm. um but yeah he says in the chicago tribune 621 2005 for a year now i have walked around with a secret a secret i chose to keep but now i want to now i want you to be among the first to know that i have made plans to renew and revive the smashing pumpkins and as you said i want my band back and my songs and my dreams Yeah, yeah. So it's a very interesting kind of uh, confluence of things that, um, yeah, I think we'll kind of naturally unpack as we dive into 
these yeah. tracks. Also, around this time is when he's doing these interviews, he blamed uh, James for the breakup of the band. Right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. There's that whole that whole uh, drama. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what do you say uh, we get into it? We can kind of all this. There's a lot of information about this album. Again, you can find that on spcodex.wiki and spfc.org. And some of this will pepper throughout our commentary or we'll yeah. mention at the end. But uh, let's go ahead and get started, huh? Let's do it. You know, change is constant in this crazy world. And all things change. things change so we talked about uh she knows media earlier and he actually did a track by track kind of breakdown or commentary on each one of these Mm -hmm. tracks so this is really uh cool to have because we can kind of talk about that with this in mind yeah so for all things change he says this was the zero point for the record we've been messing around for a couple of months but all things change was the first time we found the feeling we were going for musically i knew i wanted to sing something at the end and the words we can change the world came into my head as i was driving around i thought oh man you're asking for it but there's something so car crashy about someone actually saying something like that you don't want to look but you have to the feeling is authentic i do feel we can change the world but it's not a michael jackson sense there's a sense here that it's not going to be easy. Your words yeah. to our ears. I, re- I really like this. I mean, I, I love the fact that we get Billy's insights on this, but this is like, it's just an important reminder that Billy kind of, um, he's not afraid to drop a very sort of soaring, earnest lyric like that, but this is just yeah. a reminder that he knows, he knows, you know, he knows yeah. how it sounds. He knows what he's doing. And, um, yeah, one of the many kind of overt or one of the handful of kind of, uh, Bowie nods throughout Absolutely. this album, just lyrically speaking. Heroes. Yeah. But what, what did you think about this song? Uh, yeah. I mean, this was something that when I bought the album, I was very thrown because, you know, I had heard walking shade. That was the first single. And I think I had heard, um, Mean Aloy and A100, those might have been out too before the album came out. So I was already kind of in that mindset of like that sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can imagine, like for me, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Uh, and again, it's doing this kind of like blown out woozy sound, yeah. you know, which is really big right now in right. like indie pop, yeah. you know, rock. It, it, they love using that sound. Mm-hmm. So again, very much ahead of the time, but I can imagine somebody who didn't hear any of the singles or anything is like, oh, Billy Corgan. And even says on the CD, we both have the CD here. Uh, it, it says featuring Walking Shade, A100, and Mina Loy. 
debut album from the voice behind the Smashing Pumpkins. Like they right. had to, yeah. like who doesn't know at that point who Billy yeah. Corgan is? But I imagine someone, you know, at the record store or, you know, whatever. And they're like, oh, this is the Smashing Pumpkins guy. I'm going to check this out. And they mm-hmm. put this song on and they're like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit disorienting, but it does set you up for the album, I think. But it is an interesting uh, track to start. I think it's asking a lot of the audience, mm-hmm. uh, but it does set the tone. And the electronic drums are so prominent. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea of all things change is like, between the artwork of Billy just kind of being bare and just him and you can mm-hmm. see his birthmarks and everything, yeah. it's just kind of, he's laying everything out and just being like, this isn't the pumpkins. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm doing now. And kind of to to echo a lot of the reviews, most of them had like almost a caveat to it or a qualifier where they're like, this is really good. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, it may not be for everyone. Right. It's not going to be commercially successful, but this is good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what every, it seemed like almost all the review, almost every review said that where they're like, we really like this, but the, you know, the general public may not. Mm-hmm. I had, I had pretty much the same takeaway at first. It doesn't, you, you question whether this is like the strongest opener, but maybe that's not the point because it feels like it sort of washes over you and puts you in the right mindset for how the album, the sounds that the album is playing with, you know, it, yeah. it it's, and, and oddly enough, it's the appetizer. Yeah, totally. And, and you kind of hear all the textures with, and the, the, um, like you said, the percussion, you know, the programmed percussion, which is such a big part of this album. Um, Oddly enough, for such a mellow track, uh, like I was listening to it again this morning, and it's really best played very loud because you can kind of pick up on all those. I could see here popping this in on subpar speakers or something in a yeah. car, a shitty car, which is where I did listen to it at first and probably the most, and <laughs> yeah. missing a lot, like especially in a song like this, the more banger loud ones you kind of can appreciate, like no matter where you're listening to, but this one is introducing you to sort of the paints he's painting with, you know, and yeah. it's it's an, it's easing you in. The, uh, just to bring up Seer again, like I feel like Billy even commented on this, how once upon a time he wouldn't have necessarily just kicked the album open with a song like color of your love color of love but he chose to now because he's kind of like screw it like let's just get right into it yeah whereas here there's this sort of um you know this is kind of the lights going down and the curtaining opening on the album and then the door kind of kicks open on the the next track the next track yeah i i feel like you're you're completely right about like it kind of is this sonic river flow mm-hmm. that like kind of it starts and then it goes throughout the album where there's just kind of like bed of sonic like noise or um ambiance mm-hmm. that's throughout the whole album and it really does kind of set the tone and get puts you on that path yeah um it is still i think it's still a weird choice but i and i kind of don't like how it just ends but it almost does feel like a, all right, here you go. You're mm-hmm. off, you right. know? Yeah. And this, like many songs of this album, 
it's a very simple song to at its core. That's what mm-hmm. I really enjoyed about revisiting this album is that we know now about how he writes songs and the bones of it and mm-hmm. how if you really listen to these songs, you can definitely hear the pumpkins, the pumpkin bones of this. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is how it would sound if it were a pumpkin song. But he just, as he says with Bon Harris, who you know was the contributor to this, who also worked on a door, that it, uh, he's like, they're just fucking with it, and they even right. says it at one point. But they're just fucking with it to make it so it's not that kind of basic kind of song structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you totally. Know? And I think that's a really cool project, a really cool. Um, thing for him to be pursuing at this point because you know like he was saying in that quote it's kind of like and not, you know Jimmy was to a certain extent involved helped helped with this album but he yeah. it, it's largely drum machine programmed drums and yeah, when Billy Brian. yeah and, and and I feel like this is inherently more different from the pumpkins than Zwan was ever going to be because yes. he's challenging himself to not lean on this incredible, you know, human drummer uh, that he has uh, as his main collaborator, basically, especially in terms of recording the music, being band members that record the album. So, yeah, um, I think we're in agreement on, on how we feel about this one. But I think it's great. Billy is like he said, you know, at the end of the day, he's an album person. And this puts you... It's like not that many people. I do really like it, but you know, if you were to poll Pumpkin fans and say, "What's your favorite track on Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness?" Some people might, but probably not that many people are going to say the title track. Yeah. But it's a necessary. It, it you know it is a cool track and it's it it invites you in to the album, yeah. which is which is what this one does as well. Kind of softly sets you on your way, and then this is where we start getting into like the more uh, kind of choppy waters with um, our next track, mm-hmm. which is Mina Loy M O H. Parentheses MOH, which stands for My Old Heart, which Mm -hmm. he talks, which is in the lyrics. Um, So this was considered a single, but it didn't have a video for it. But it was one they would release with promotional discs and stuff. And it was, I think, played on the radio. 
I don't remember this being played in the radio in the Dallas market. Uh, I don't know about Buffalo. Yeah, I think I just had my own private, you know, listening yeah. room in my car driving around. <laughs> Same. Uh, but Billy says this, the guys I worked with on the album would label the soundscapes I had. This song was originally called My Old Heart, and they abbreviated the name in the sound file as MOH. At first, I wasn't sure about my lyrics to Mina Loy because I felt like I was returning to one of my old themes, rage. Yet it expressed my general feeling of paranoia. I live in Chicago and I love my city so much. I love it like a woman. I was thinking how I'd feel if anyone ever set off a dirty bomb and destroyed this place I love so much. This is not some vague Soviet threat. It's the thought that someone on a whim can put their finger on a map and destroy something beautiful. Interesting. Yeah, which is funny because, not funny, it's not funny at all, but uh, they, he had talked about, because in, inter- in one of the interviews, they, they asked him about kind of that dark mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it being around that time, he was in New York when 9-11 happened. Right. And he heard one of the planes go over his apartment, you know, because he could witness a lot of this happening. Um, so I'm sure, you know, that mindset and everything kind of being there and thinking about how that would kind of go down in his hometown of Chicago, which he loves. Uh, I, I never got that from the song. I, I, honestly, I didn't even know this was kind of the the subject matter of the song. Until Me neither. I, read that you don't get it just by listening to it but yeah i mean it's it's that's the other thing is this was in the wake you know everything changed and we don't have to go we you know i don't feel smart enough to go into all you know all the ways in which like life just changed so much in the early 2000s like everything you know fundamentally just yeah shifted everything so yeah it makes sense that he it, it's it's worked its way into this song especially in this kind of imagined view of of uh, personalizing it to his his hometown you know but yeah, yeah just by listening to it the mood of the song um i mean obviously you hear, you hear lyrics like they want to kill us all innocence wounded souls but yeah it's it's got like um I don't know. It, it it doesn't have quite as dark a feeling just by listening to the music, you know? Yeah. Especially where the lyrics end up at the end, you know? Mm-hmm. We're like, I'm just a wish away, you know, from you, kid. I guess that, that could be dark, but I think it's like... And then just saying, could I give my old old heart to you? Which, when I first heard the album, with before looking at the lyrics, I always thought it was can I give my old car or my own car to you? Like him giving up. Cars for kids. I think it was just because of the New Order uh, song that he's on. It was in my head. I don't know why I was like, a car? Okay. Is he just giving away his riches or for what? For the tax but, uh, credit? But yeah, I love uh, Old Heart a lot better. Yeah. I always, and then I thought it was my own heart. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, Old Heart, whatever. Frank, uh, what are you doing? What are you listening? How are you listening to these songs? Yeah, uh, I, I think I thought you- that too. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting lyric. It's like one of those. You, it's a, it's like a, a just the words alone you could interpret in a few different ways. It can be sort of like, oh, my old heart still loves your baby. Can I give it to you? Or it's like, <laughs> yeah. can I give this old 
outdated, this old, like, um, obsolete, like an obsolete version of my heart. Cause for some reason I had to like build a whole new one or something like it. Yeah. And it definitely, um, it definitely speaks to like an old time and a new current time, you know, cause like with lyrics, yeah. like I'm not so innocent. I'm not so innocent now, kid, you know? Yeah. I think he's referring to some mass loss of innocence that we all went through, you know? Yeah. And that is an old theme for Billy, loss of innocence or kind of mourning the loss of innocence or, I mean, just from a song perspective though, I think I was about to say like, what do you you think about the sounds of it? I think it rules. I mean, it really cooks like the guitar has this very deep and far away. It, It sounds so deep and far away, but very present all at once, you know? Um, so catchy just the the, it's a really infectious song with a simple beat but with guitar that has real complexity and I do think the lyric lyrically too just the fact that it's kind of just to the ear kind of enigmatic like it's you know he's saying it's about this thing which makes sense but you hear it and you kind of hear different things Um, it also feels like it's kind of continuing on some trajectory that the Pumpkins were exploring in their last couple of years as a band, just in terms yeah. of the sound. Um, and I, I love yeah. the, the guitar sound. It sounds like the guitar is crying in a way, but not in a George Harrison gently weeping kind of <laughs> way, more of like a wailing, bawling, screaming kind of way. Um, which does fit in with the subject matter. So, I mean, you know, it was a single. I think they, like, you know, uh, they played it on one of the late night shows, right? They played it on... uh, Yeah, we we covered it in our uh, commentary on Patreon. They played it on Letterman. Yeah, so I I do think the song rules. I I, I really love this song. Well, I think that sonic landscape kind of continues because of Alan Mulder. You know, right. uh, being associated with that and helping Billy with the process, it's kind of like there's a genetic thread that's kind of there mm-hmm. that's kind of carried over. But I, I, a lot of people think of this album as electronic, but this time around listening to it, I, I, it felt more like a shoegaze album to me. Totally. Yeah. Especially with, the, I think my favorite part of this album is the guitar sound. And I've gushed yeah. about it on the, the commentary we did on Patreon, but I love that guitar tone so much that I was like desperate to find that sound. And our uh, buddy Ryan, uh, who we had on the Pisces Iscariot episode, Ryan mm-hmm. Parrish, he had just bought this Mesa Boogie V Twin preamp pedal that looked like this, like, it was silver and it looked like it was a car bumper grill. Mm-hmm. It was like this chrome. It was awesome, but it had like a, a clean, a really good clean channel and a blues and solo channel. But I would combine that clean channel. I'd have the super clean channel on with my um, Sovtech big green uh, Big Muff pedal, like the mm-hmm. Russian Big Muff pedal. And it gave it this kind of huge sound and you yeah. put flange on it or you put chorus on it. It kind of get close to that but mm-hmm. i was so obsessed with that sound i was like that's the sound i want yeah and i'm i'm such a big fan of it um i and i also love the synths the synths are like right up my alley mm-hmm. like that's the kind of sound that it's like i'm always a sucker for that kind of deep synth kind True. of pulse sound 
And like at 115, when the synths come back in, uh, when it's mostly Billy singing, it just always gets me. There's a lyric in here that I noticed this time of here you're born, they'll say, to die afraid to lie awake. And it's such a, <laughs> you know, just being like, yep, here you are. There's a great, you know, the comedian Atsuko. Uh, I'm vaguely familiar and I, I don't actually know their stuff, but I just have started seeing that name around. Yeah, she she's great. Uh, she was a guest on, when I wrote for the Randall Park talk show. She was one of the guests mm-hmm. and she's so funny and she has really great stand up. But she has this joke and I'm going to butcher it because I don't have it uh, with me on top of my head. But she said that it's the the rudest thing ever is to be born because mm-hmm. you didn't ask for it. Right. It's like I didn't ask for like they're like here you go you're born into this world. Yeah, like, I didn't yeah. ask for this. You it's know? true. Yeah. Let's go. Why'd you do that? Let's go. Why'd you say that? I'm always like, well, you know, none of us had a choice, <laughs> did we? And I'm a firm believer in that statement. I really am. I'm a firm believer in that statement. Like life, like all of us in here. Okay, all of you. Okay, being birthed is the ultimate I thought you'd like this I remember listening to somebody somebody talking about kind of like um, life and death and like afterlife ideas or something but how like if how death is not the the real traumatic experience birth is like you know death is kind of nice and you you like people who have had near-death experiences all report like these similar you know people who died on the operating table and came back like how nice it is and like the transition and everything <laughs> but birth yeah. you come out wet and screaming and you know this Confused, co- cold white like, bright what the hell? yeah there's bad lighting you know fluorescence yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a real trauma <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> yeah but yeah be just being born there's a kate bush yeah, lyric I mean, has like, to be born yeah, yeah <laughs> the, there's a kate bush lyric that says just being alive it can really hurt and that's yeah that that's for sure you were talking about the guitar sound which i agree is kind of the star of the show in many ways on this album but throughout there's also this kind of balance of clarity and distortion like crispness and sort of ambiguity of like a wash of sound that carries through all the songs on this album and is really cool it feels like he's what he's embracing is the future of guitar maybe of guitar sounds like it, yeah. in many ways and i've gone on about i've mentioned beach house a lot and how i keep hearing so many shades of pumpkins when i listen to beach house i think a lot of what i'm hearing is this album this album and I'd be really curious to um, like look into this or maybe have them on the show someday to talk to Beach House about it but um, yeah yeah Didn't you I, see them recently I did I saw them at the um, the, the Greek. Greek 
theater and it was great i mean seeing them they they like there's they're not lit on stage it seeing them is a lot like listening to them you know because like you can't yeah. really see them <laughs> they're just kind of, <laughs> yeah. which is cool it adds to kind of the mysterious vibe of their music but um yeah i i love them and we're both big fans of them but yeah i i um i hear so i just just in terms of billy kind of predicting elements of the like you know what's to come in rock or influencing that at this period of his career um but yeah, totally agree about the guitar sound being kind of the star of the show. I, I mean, I, I love it, and I get exactly what you mean, and that's kind of, again, the help of Alan Mulder and Vaughn Harris and uh, Brian Leesgang and Matt Walker from Filter, those mm-hmm. two from Filter. Basically, the live band is half of... Uh, we'll talk about more about the live band a little bit after, but um, yeah, he basically just has half a filter part of his band you know, mm-hmm. or part of this recording process, which right. is really cool because he said he needed somebody who was a kind of like knob turners and whatnot. And it's funny that you say, yeah, uh, the future of like guitar, because in one of the interviews, I can't remember which one, he talks about how like alternative music isn't kind of... Uh, exciting or shocking anymore yeah. that's what he was saying it's like you you play loud it was shocking at the time they kind of hear nirvana play like that mm-hmm. but now it's so watered down or at this time it was so watered down and generic that it yeah. was just like there's nothing shocking about it so you had to kind of explore different avenues and for him that was more interesting than doing kind of a basic rock record where it's just like pumpkins etc you know it's yeah. Uh, so I I, th- I thought that was really interesting and makes me appreciate the album even more. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of filter, nothing filters lights, colors, and shapes quite like the camera eye. I don't know if the science checks out on that transition, but you know, I felt <laughs> okay about it. It works for now. tell you what Billy said about this track he says this is like one of those poems where you vaguely know what it's about but can't quite explain it it has something to do with this feeling that love is constantly being perverted you're constantly asking yourself what true love really is I've been with women and I thought I found my true love and it's turned out to be the worst most hurtful thing you think is that true love I've been with women who are completely devoted and would lie across a railroad track for me and I think this kind this is kind of boring. So what is true love anyway? Somehow the words and the images and the camera eye communicated to me. So there you go. Yeah, I um, I was a young man of this mindset before, uh, where I felt like, and maybe the pumpkins are to blame for this. Maybe he is to blame for this for putting <laughs> planning this in my head that love had to be so melodramatic. Sure, and I would be. 
I would be in a very good relationship with somebody who was, you know, great, but I was bored. Right, right. And I would just get into mess after mess of relationships up until I, you know, I met my wife, Mm -hmm. you know, and I grew up. But um, that's so funny to to hear. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that that statement? Yeah, I mean, it's the the thing that I felt about. Like, I, I like. First of all, I like what he says about this is like one of those poems where you vaguely know what it's about but can't quite explain it i feel like i have that experience a lot with songs that i really dig you know and that's the beauty of music and poetry and painting and whatever that like in most cases it's not 100 percent literal it's open to interpretation and maybe even the artist doesn't quite 100 percent know what they're you know saying you know it's like the song or the thing becomes going on vibe yeah, and it becomes its own message. So I, um, just in terms of how it sounds compared to what he's talking about with relationships, I felt very strongly that this song has a very distinct vibe, uh, like a feeling of either hunting or being hunted. Yeah. Kind of both. It kind of switches, but it's got one of the most... So, so I guess that kind of, you know, is that love? Is it, is it the, the thrill of the hunt? Is it the thrill of being adored, of being pursued? Or is it something else? Something that maybe can be boring and still, you know, true and important. But, um, so that, that's, that was my, that was my feeling of just, you know, that I got based on the song's sound. Um, and then, it just in terms of what we were talking about embracing the future of music of rock music it's one of the most frenetically paced uh, billy corgan songs i can think of it's got and it's it's one of the most kind of forward leaning in terms of sound and you know it, it's got almost like a chip tune or like dan deacon kind of pacing to it both of which i i, I love and yeah there's something kind of like punk rock in the best way not in the sense of like a strict guitar sound of punk rock but in like a punk rock spirit of kind of um reinventing you know that that really comes across in this one so yeah um, yeah also the keyboard and bass really sound great with headphones on this would be a really cool one to you know you have peter hook's son in your band like this would be great to hear uh, jack play um yeah it also kind of get like another album that i was in band that i was big into around this time was placebo and this one reminded me a lot of their sleeping with ghosts album which was around out i think a year or two before this one um yeah just i was listening to that a lot in my car that album and this album so that yeah i I was right drawing connections between the two That's so funny. Yeah, because I, I hadn't listened to that in forever. Yeah, for me, it felt like almost like a Radiohead track because that guitar kind of had that like mm-hmm. um, amnesiac kind of kid A type of tone to it. Right. For me, um, 
it, it's the chorus is kind of weird in the context of the song because it kind of gets a little like upbeat or something it's but again it's another simple bones dressed down and blown out song mm-hmm. you know yeah what i really love speaking of listening through headphones is when it gets back to the second verse and you hear those little beeps sure and bloops. yeah yeah love that, the those are great i love that disappointed by the end because i feel like it could go on if they played this live this could go on with a jam i felt mm-hmm. like there was like a opportunity to kind of go off into like a little right you know space there mm-hmm. um i thought the the lyric honey choose my wet dream is is was uh unusual but <laughs> right <laughs> you know yeah it's not it's one of yeah there's a few kind of sexual lyrics th- scattered across this um this album kind of some saucy Billy stuff happening. Oh, saucy Billy. He's back as saucy. Well, you know, we love Billy and we know what it's like to love somebody. To love somebody. So this is a cover of a Bee Gees song featuring one of our favorites of all time, Mr. Robert Smith. Yeah, I mean, pretty Robert. pretty momentous meeting of the minds here or of the voices, you know, like in such an unusual context too. Yeah, which he talks about, which is great. You know, it's it's yeah. like you almost need to create a new like the Cure is such a distinct. They've both built such distinct, you know, sounds for themselves and kind of like associations with their music and everything that you almost need the the like neutral territory of this kind of out of left field cover song you know of a bgs yeah. a 70s bgs song so it is it's kind of genius too it it's it's kind of interesting that these guys hadn't that it took so long for them to work together but it makes sense in a way like yeah. that it took us until 2005 to because i think they were pals before you know mm-hmm. I, they, I know they were they did bowie's yeah, uh birthday party there's some and, great uh, photos of like Bowie and the two of them and Lou Reed all standing together. Just crazy yeah. like Mount Rushmore of rock music type stuff. We had reposted a meme where somebody put the Avengers logo. Oh yeah, the, yeah. yeah. I know. There's like a there's a lot you can kind of meme with that. But um Okay, so this is what Billy says about the song. The original song by the Bee Gees is in a major key and very up-sounding, and I knew it wouldn't fit that way. Of course not. Are you kidding me? So I slipped it all into a minor key, so it's the same melody but sadder. We finished the demo, and my engineer thought it was one of the best things we've ever done, and that was just the demo. So I'm pretty good friends with Robert Smith from The Cure, who were a big influence on me. Not just rock buddies, we sort of have a loving relationship from afar. So I called Robert up and said, 
will you sing on my record? He said, sure, whatever you want. And I said, <laughs> it's a Bee Gees song. Over the transatlantic line, I hear Robert Smith going, the Bee Gees. I said, trust me, just do your thing and it will be fine. He did and it was great. Truly. Agreed. Have you heard the original song? Yeah, I actually, I meant to listen to it prior to this episode, but I, I've definitely heard it. And I, I knew this to be a cover when I first heard this version of it. Um, I did not know that at the time. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, I guess I just heard it wherever on television or something at some point growing up. But um, yeah, it like so. So the yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's funny that it's a Bee Gees song. But there's like some sense of humor built into it. But like, I, I love the treatment. I love the you know taking a major key song and putting it in a minor key and seeing what happens. There's a whole thing on YouTube where uh, people do that. Oh, songs. like losing and my it, religion in a major key. Oh my key. god! Yeah, it is amazing. I love. Look that up. It's so amazing. My favorite one is um, "Don't Stop Believing." He took the midnight train going anywhere. Because it sounds so ominous and so terrifying. You can do the reverse, too, with Fleetwood Mac. I was just thinking of there's this Fleetwood Mac tribute album that came out, like, I don't know, five years ago or something. But Oh, yeah, I have that. Yeah, it's got um, a lot of cool people on it. But the one I'm thinking of is Best Coast does a cover of Rhiannon. It, but it's like oh. an up temp. It's like a major key up tempo cover of Rhiannon. Because you know how Rhiannon goes. It's yeah. like very like ominous and spooky and stuff. Rhiannon. It's the same song, but just um, the mood is flipped. So, yeah, th- yeah, great instinct when you got Robert Smith on board to. Uh, I don't think yeah, there's any tongue-in-cheek aspect to it because uh, years before that, when uh, James and Darcy hosted, there's that famous clip of them hosting some kind of music show where they get to pick videos mm-hmm. and they 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 start arguing James and Darcy or like Darcy says because he picks a Bee Gees video and she like gets on him for that right you know? right is the Bee Gees more than a woman now I've never seen the video but you I love what? this I love the song they say that everyone says that everyone comes on and says that they never saw the video before so well, I don't care I've never seen the show before my thought is that when this video is playing just remember I'm dancing I'm dancing the night away and you're loving it here's the Bee Gees more than a woman Say you always be my baby. We can make it shine. We can last forever. Just a James. minute of time. James, ah. if you're going to embarrass me, I can't do this. I 
hate this band. But I think they did appreciate because that early BG stuff, most people know the BGs as the Saturday Night Fever band. Right. The right. disco band. But before that, they were very much like in the like the ilk of uh like Beatles and Beach Boys type of like if you listen to the original to love somebody the lyrics are i could see why he picked this because the lyrics are truly they lend themselves to a sadder interpretation oh yeah and in that way it feels like beach boys to me where like the underlying sadness is there yeah for sure this is a sad song i mean just at, at its core you know the message you don't know what it's like to love somebody the way i love you like it, it yeah it's it's yeah it's heartbreaking you know it's like it's there's this like you're you know professing to the person you love that they couldn't possibly understand how much you love them and and the in built into that is that you're not getting back you know what you're yeah. putting out there so it's yeah it's like a heartbreaking idea for a song for sure i think that's because of that and the way that they changed it it already lends itself to sound like a cure song yes Definitely. Like to me, it feels like Wish meets Bloodflowers era. You know, like I think that uh, I, I, when I first heard it, I was a little like, huh. But with the context of now, with my history with The Cure and really getting into them, and just I really love this cover. I really, mm-hmm. I, I really like the Leno performance that we did commentary for too. Um, it's great. I, I, I think it's really great. And I, but my only thing that I'll say. Uh, that's that's a point against it is I kind of wanted Robert to be more prominent Mm -hmm. and I almost want him to have his I wanted him to have his own verse like uh, if you heard the church's song How Not to Drown Mm -hmm. uh, which he's on he has his own verse Because he's singing back up on the chorus, and then he has his own verse, and she has her own verse, and there's like a whole, you mm-hmm. know, like back and forth. I kind of wanted that because I would like to hear Robert sing a verse of this, like in that second part or something, and then have them come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the only thing I was like, ah, I kind of wish I had some of that. I know what you mean. He is very much kind of doing backing vocals on this. For yeah, sure. and it's a little lower because of the vocoder sound, the robot vocoder sound too, and he's kind of low in the mix. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like I wish he was a little bit more prominent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what a treat this would be to see live somehow and maybe see them play with it a bit or, or do that somehow. Let let old old Bob uh, sing a verse. Let him sing a, bur- a verse. He's a good boy. Come on. <laughs> For the love of God, <laughs> let the boy sing on the song. Oh, um. Wow. <laughs> but I that out is so good. That feels very curish. You know, mm-hmm. it kind of does that fade out and stuff like, oh man, that is very curish. Yeah. And I love that. They're part. doing I mean the the guitar sound right out of the gate is so cure like.
Like it's almost yeah. like you need to show up with that. Like and the, the keyboards. Yeah, yeah. And it also it there is also a little bit because um, at this point, I mean now, Robert Smith has done several kind of notable collabs with bands that are not strictly like rock bands that use a little bit more of like an electronic sound but i hadn't you hadn't really there were some like 90s cure things that kind of delved into that but you hadn't really heard robert quite in this context yet you know and, and it's yeah. really cool it kind of gives some shades of like the, i i love the song he did with crystal castles um yeah i'm not in love Um, it kind of gives some shades of that to come, you know, and, and just different, different ways to kind of use this voice of Robert Smith with like some slightly different types of musical um, accompaniment. Um, yeah, it's it's an awesome cover. I think it's an awesome meeting of two, you know, very distinct figures. I love that they're friends, you know. Yeah. They're how, big in both our lives. Yeah. But, how how much yeah. of a bummer would it be if there was like bad blood between? And it's not. And you know, they're these are two guys who are not afraid to say like, "Hey, I don't like this person." You know, like exactly. Like Robert. <laughs> if you've ever heard Robert Smith in an interview, yeah, talk about Morrissey. Sure. I love yeah. Him. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is um, Robert Smith, who's you know, you look at him, sweet as pie. You love him right away. Vulnerable, sensitive, like cool person but he's got some sass and he's like the quote is um something along the lines of uh if if <laughs> if morrissey tells me not to eat meat i will do the opposite because i hate morrissey period <laughs> <laughs> or i will eat meat because i hate it ends with because i hate morrissey which yeah you know Matt Walker plays with Morrissey. There's another little weird connection, right? Yeah, Isn't he I currently about that. in Morrissey's band or recently? Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, a clash of the alt goth titans, to be sure. And they really do stick the landing. I think it's a super unique song. Yeah. So unique, in fact, that I would give it not an A, but an A100. Love that segue, Pat. I was Thank thinking you. the same Thank thing. Uh, so this was co-written with Bon Harris. Uh, this is what Billy has to say. Uh, just your typical God is disco love song. I come from Chicago, the home of house music. We grew up there in a place where for a lot of people, it's really all about the kick drum. That's why New Order was so big in Chicago. They really captured that feeling. There's still something in me that just resonates to that big techno moment. 
That said, the song is still semi-sarcastic. I've got my tongue in my cheek a little bit there. Oh, cheeky Billy. As Billy often does. Yeah, that's yeah. that's cool. I mean, I, I I relate to what he said about, and I feel like he, you know, Billy knows what he's talking about more in, like, in terms of like a Chicago sound and everything. But yeah, the wax tracks, you yeah, know, the whole industrial goth, you know, yeah. But that big techno moment, this kind of throwback techno sound, sort of simple techno sound, is so still yes. so appealing to me, and I feel like we've talked about it. Um, on the show, like almost like Mortal Kombat core kind of thing, like that. <laughs> it, it, um, but yeah, what what did you think about this one? Well, it's funny that he mentions New Order because this one feels like uh, songs of faith and devotion and ultra era Depeche Mode. This feels like a love letter to Depeche Mode sound. Mm-hmm. Everything about this sound sounds just like that era of Depeche Mode. Um, down to the guitar that kind of trails off at the end. that dirty groove that it opens up and that it opens up in the chorus the little delay echo on his vocals are cool and that kind of gritty distortion you talked about that's kind of that combination of clean with gritty Mm -hmm. uh the chorus is dark too it almost feels like thompson twins because it kind of gets a little light but it's still dark um where he says like some might say my love devours you whole which i love that line Mm -hmm. and that fools like us part is fantastic uh, those delayed guitar trails are so good. The little bloops and bleeps buried in the mix. There's so much layers going. There's so many layers going on here. Yeah, yeah. And that 242 turn with that guitar is so good. And when he's singing that just a little more, mm-hmm. it has a very much, uh, it feels like a Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode attack to it. Yeah. Like yeah. how he sings in the chorus of like in that darker key. I... I love it. I mean, this is one of my, this was one of the tracks I immediately gravitated towards when I first heard the album. Mm -hmm. I like the avenues it takes, but I just especially am just a sucker for that Depeche Mode sound and how it ends. And the lyrics are great too. I really love, like, Fools Like Us remind me, trust the way I feel, surround you up. Mm hmm. Like, huh? But it's, it works, you know. Some might say my love is reaching you. Some might say that life is waiting alone. I can't say enough. I mean, like, I'm kind of at a loss for words because I feel like I've already kind of just spewed out <laughs> what I love about the song. I got very excited about it, but yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I 100%, A100%. I love the, um, the laser sounds, the sort of digital scrapes and accents yeah. definitely speak to that kind of... Um, proto techno thing he was talking about or that how did he put it like that big techno moment that that yeah. you know like i i'm such a sucker for that too and i i hear like 
you could say that I, I mean like it, the fact that he says it's tongue in cheek you could accuse some of the sounds of being dated but or something but that's the point yeah. here like he's having fun with those elements and I, yeah I'm a, I'm a total sucker for that stuff too so yeah I love it This album is still rocking along. It's definitely not DOA. It is DIA. So this is what Billy had to say about it. One of the last songs written for the album, I figured out some new ways to write songs this time. And by this point in the process, I'd gotten comfortable with the new approach. So I went back to my old process. To me, it's sort of an old school song written in a new way. DIA has got a nice gothic vibe. Actually, Courtney Love was staying at my house at the time. Interesting. (laughs) She'd come into town for me to write songs for her record. I had this one and another one. I liked the other one, but Courtney picked this song. Oh man, that Courtney Love solo album, which I also so you have, yeah, had and was listening to around this time. I kind of forgot that that lined up with this. So you have heard to think for this. To me, this sounds like the most Zwanish song on the album. This feels like a continuation of Zwan to me, mm-hmm. and that beginning kind of feels like um, a declaration of faith you know, a little bit uh, from Zwan. And then, and I know this comes way later, but uh, it kind of reminded me of No Cars Go by the Arcade Fire, that beginning, just that beginning part. Definitely, I agree about this one thing. With the drums, yeah, with yeah. Jimmy's drumming. Which Jimmy does play. This is the one song that Jimmy plays on. And uh, also, Emily Autumn, uh, she plays violin on this, who is known for like fairy pop, fantasy rock, Victoria, <laughs> Victorian industrial uh, sound. Like she plays with uh, Raven Song, the Jane Book Brooks Project. Uh, Convent, the Chelsea. I don't know if you know about the Chelsea, but they're a great band. And uh, Courtney Love and Veronica Varlow. So Emily plays violin on this. And uh, like I said, to me, this feels like the most like Zwanish song to me, like the continuation. That probably is in part because Jimmy's on mm-hmm. it and it has kind of like that feeling. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this song? Yeah, um, I th- I think I th- I thought that same thing about Zwan. I could definitely I knew that Jimmy played. Uh, I, you can hear that this is Jimmy playing on it, even if you don't know, even if you're you know haven't had confirmation of that. But yeah, I love the song. I think it's got a great riff right out of the gate. I do think it's it sounds like it could feel right at home on an album next to a song like Color of Love. Um, yeah, 
I love the use of strings, but the fact that it's not sort of center stage, you know, it, it's uh, the strings are a little bit not subdued, but they're layered. They're sort of just baked into the the cake, and yeah, yeah I, I love the the build to some sort of digital jam that happens toward the end and i really love what it ends on which is this distorted guitar flourish that is so evocative of of um other stuff and like beach house again not to sound like a broken record on that but um yeah yeah i just love it it's such a pleasing note to end on yeah i i mean i i like how it kind of feels like it has no business being that dynamic you know because mm-hmm. the way it starts and i just like i love the way that it builds uh, i like the guitar tone and like i love the vocal layering in that pre-chorus you know mm-hmm. uh i love that build to uh at around 104 um i love the sections of mirror mirror reflect the scream mm-hmm. it just sounds so cool with the layering and i just like the detours that this song takes because it wasn't my favorite when the album came out, but I really grew to appreciate it when I was listening to it uh, over the last month. Because mm-hmm. um, there are parts of this song that are just gorgeous, and the the vocal layering at 155 of Shoot the Lights. I love the backing vocals, uh, which I assume is Emily. Um, they're great. You know, I know live it was Linda Strawberry, but uh, I thought this was, yeah, I like it. It's probably not my favorite on the album, but I, I really like I really like it. Yeah, this is a great one. All right, well, all this talk about Courtney Love made me think about Madonna, which makes me think about Madonna's friend, Rosie O'Donnell, which makes me think about the 1995 film with Christina Ricci, Now and Then. what old Billy has to say. Billy says, this one's just really sad. Some fucked up weird tale of teenage isolation that never really happened to me. It's a sad devotional about willing to be hurt and consumed by someone. At first the song had a different feel and I was ambivalent about it. Perhaps it was a bit too pumpkins for me right now. Then Bond said he really loved the song and thought it was the best thing we'd worked on. He said, mind if I fuck it up for you? So then I went away, came back, and thought what Bond had done was really beautiful. Then the whole song clicked for me. I gotta say, this upon uh, this recent uh, round of listening, this has become one of my favorites off the album. I Same. think I probably overlooked it, uh, you know, back, I absolutely back in did. 05, but yeah. I've really come to appreciate this as one of my top tracks on this album i think it's it's really beautiful yeah it's fantastic this is the one that i was like this feels like a door 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where we get into like the adore section of the album. Yes, for sure. Yeah, and it makes sense with Bon Harris's input too, because you know he worked on adore as well uh, from uh, Nitzareb. I don't. I never know if I'm saying that right. I always hear people say it differently. I know. Uh, a very uh, formative industrial electronic band. But yeah, this one feels like a Cure lullaby, not the song lullaby by the Cure, but mm-hmm. like it has that kind of ambiance to it. And yeah. I just love that guitar squill in the middle of the song and that like kind mm-hmm. of like what I guess is a solo. I don't know. I mean, you know, Pat, I, maybe I'm off base here, but I wonder if those pumpkin fans who are hardcore door fans really like this album. I wouldn't be surprised because I think they, more than any other pumpkins album, I feel like this. And again, I'm not trying to say this in some sort of reductive, like simple minded, like, oh, they use like electronic sounds on both because they really don't. They're both different kinds of rock. I mean, they do, but. Yeah, They're I know both like yeah, I I I would think so. Like it's got the there's like a maturity about this that that Adore shares, you know, there's sort of this like reflectiveness just in terms of like the overall mood and then of course specific sounds. But yeah, I, I the that guitar sound you were talking about that comes in around 140 is just like mwah, like just so good. Um you know, lyrically and sonically, I, this this really stuck with me. I love lyrics, like you know, like the um, it seems insane to me. Can't escape the family tree. You know, uh, yeah. build a fire behind the school is just such a you know. It's evocative. It's so a very evocative lyric. You can really see it and feel it, and it's like both kind of warming and welcoming and ominous. Like, what are you building a fire behind the school for? You know. Like, yeah reading his description was so interesting because that's the kind of mindset I would put myself into again as a young man thinking that there has to be so much melodrama and relationships and stuff and sometimes Mm -hmm. you put yourself in situations where you know me even in my 20s where you have these kind of like lingering relationships or something or just kind of put yourself in a bad situation even though you know you shouldn't be but you still like kind of still put yourself in that you know what I mean Mm -hmm. yeah Totally. And I don't know that 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 school, uh, the fire behind the school, really did kind of paint that picture for me. Um, yeah. And how I pro- I felt at that time, but it was it's it's a really, I think it's a a little hidden gem within the uh, the album. I love it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, probably easy to overlook, uh, especially maybe if you're coming at it with some kind of different. I don't know if you weren't coming at the album with an open mind, which I think I was, but with a yeah. you know a young mind. I don't exactly. know exactly. Like, if you haven't listened to this one in a while, give, give it, it a another nice listen. listen. Yeah, it's great. I don't know if you're ready for the next song, Pat, but I know that I'm ready.
I'm ready. My daughter loves SpongeBob SquarePants, and he's always saying, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Anyway. SpongeBob um, from the Tonight Tonight video, everybody. That's right, Tom Kenny. He wasn't. There we go. We're connecting it. See, Pat? Everything. It all connects back to the pumpkins. Uh, Billy says, Bjorn wanted me to take this one off. He said, it's not that I don't like it. I'm just not sure it fits the record. And in a way, that's what I do like about it. I'm ready. It comes at the point in the record where you need a different feeling. I often mm -hmm. like the underdog songs on an album. And to me, there's something satisfying about knowing it will be someone's favorite song and drive a little faster. Yeah, I feel that. I feel both sides of the argument there. Same. Bjorn's and Billy's. But ultimately, see, okay, so this is, this. I would classify this lyrically or title-wise. There's a certain breed of Billy song that was happening in the 2000s, which started with Zwan. You got your baby, let's rock. <laughs> you got later, come on, let's go. And right in the middle, you got, I'm ready. It's this sort of like, you know, let's do it. Here we go. Let's yeah. rock. Like, you know, and it's, you know, I have to imagine maybe tongue in cheek, maybe Billy playing against type or what he knows to be his type or right. something. But um, I think it's a good instinct because now and then is so muted and kind of low. It's beautiful, but you do need kind of a kick in the pants at this point in the record. And I just love the, um, I could see like, I think I, I'm trying to remember my reaction to it when I first heard it. Maybe I was a little confused or, or didn't know what to do with it as a song, but yeah. listening to it now, I really love that horn sounding synth up top. Um, there's this great build that ha starts right out of the gate. It, it is, it's like you're coming from a low track and it, it, it really does like pull you back up, you know, it, 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 not in a jarring way in sort of a subtle ish way. Um, but yeah, I love that sort of buzzy hum of a synth bed. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I I did I think I overlooked it in the past, but I, I've I've this is another sleeper hit for me. I think I, I didn't have strong feelings about it, and now I really dig it. I think I'm ready, is what I'm saying. I'm definitely ready for it now because this was definitely a song that I overlooked when the album came out that I would skip mm -hmm. um, at the time. Uh, but yeah, hearing it this time, this is the one actually. I think I think I miss. Uh, but I, I think this is the one that reminds me of Declarations of Faith by Zwan a little bit. Mm -hmm. But what I really love about this song, so it's not too exciting for me at the beginning. It's fine, but then it becomes interesting around 131 when it has this kind of bounce to it. It kind of changes mm -hmm. the tempo and it has kind of a 1979-ish B-side feel yeah. to it. Warbly guitars uh, are big on this, uh, but I kind of like it. Uh, sometimes the Warbly guitars get a little too much for me, but all the layered vocals on this album are great, and that's what I love about this song. But this one definitely uh, uh, came into my favor 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked it on this uh, listen to because before I would just kind of skip it because I wasn't too interested. But I think there's some really interesting stuff going on in this song. It's good. Yeah, absolutely. And weirdly, I don't th- I don't know if this totally checks out, but I, I after listening to it a bunch, I was walking and I was listening to it and I was like, something about the spirit of this song is reminding me of George Harrison's I've Got My Mind Set On You. That's I don't know if the it's, bounce. It's, That's the yeah, bounce the I'm bounce, talking about. Yeah, the bounce and even just the like, I'm re- rhyming things like I'm ready, oh lord, I'm steady. Like just right. the kind of simple, it, there's like a simplicity to it. And also that was my first uh, favorite song ever was uh, George Harrison, <laughs> yeah. Got My Mind Set On You when I was like a five-year-old kid. So it's a high compliment. I love that song. It's yeah, and it's like Billy kind of choosing very deliberately a little bit more of a um, lighthearted lyrical kind of uh, territory, you know, which he does from time to time, or he started doing from time to time post Pumpkins. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's cool. It's a cool song. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, that goes to show, like, if you're walking in the sun for a while, you might need a little break where you start walking shade. Walking in the shade would, you know, technically be uh, what you'd say there, but hey, look. We're doing our best. We're trying our our best. should have a level at the page of the patreon where you can write our pun transition <laughs> right <laughs> you get to write our puns for the episodes um, and that's where we pay you and at that level yeah so we we did a commentary on the video on our patreon uh speaking of but uh, the single came out of may in may of 2005 billy says i like where this song comes on the album someone i work with told me it's that point where you want to put your foot on the accelerator and drive a little faster. Without it, the album tailed off into a blissful thing, and I didn't want that. I wrote this song at the last possible second. I wasn't sure what I was writing about. Then a week later, this whole thing blew up with this girl, and I had pretty much written what was going to happen, but a week before. It's the psychic breakup song. We made a video for it with all my past coming back to haunt me. There you go. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, yeah, to the point of uh, we were kind of making earlier where you maybe even the person making the song doesn't quite know what it's for yet, but that then it becomes clear. In this case, very soon after. But, um, yeah, songs can predict the future. And PR Brown was the one who directed the video who also did the artwork or the photos for the Future Embrace album. Mm-hmm. Which, um... Yeah, we kind of talked about that a little bit, but maybe we could touch on that a little more at the end because it is kind of a striking, it's yeah, different yeah. vibe than previous album artwork for sure. So what are your thoughts on Walking Shade? Uh, take us back to 2005, May of 2005 when this single came out. 
Yeah, I mean, I, this was probably the... Well, no, I guess I heard uh, Mina Loy first, because I think that Letterman performance was the first I saw of this album. Maybe, I don't remember. But, but yeah, this was one of the first songs I heard off of it. It's a single. Um, it's... I, I, you know, I think this is a single for a reason. I think it's a great song. It really kind of, co- it's one of those ones that, re- like you said, you know, puts the puts the foot on the gas a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of how I think about it now, with with hindsight, lyrically, it, it feels, I don't know, it feels like we're in this transition moment here on this album in terms of Billy as a songwriter. Like certain songs I, I hear and I'm like, oh, this is like, this sounds like what he writes songs like now. Yeah. And certain ones, you know, don't feel that don't make you think that necessarily so lyrically it feels very like seer era billy um like a line like dumb enough to scold this tongue is a true kind of bridge lyric in in terms of being between eras of billy as a songwriter but in general the song i love the guitar sound again of the song it's got this kind of underwater vibe to it secure like swimmy sound yeah, which is great because, you know, he was saying he didn't want the whole album to drift off into this purely blissful vibe, which makes sense. Yeah. But then again, you don't want to suddenly hit people with a Motorhead track or something, or like, <laughs> yeah. a, you know, Ace of Spades. Like, it's still very much, it kicks it into a higher gear as an album, but it do, it's still playing and it's still giving you that same kind of sonic vibe that, I, you know, we both seem to really dig about this so i think it does the job really well of what he was trying to do while still being interesting and kind of fitting in in the album as a whole yeah i would say it's not my favorite video we talked about that a little bit and i actually kind of am surprised with hindsight that this was a the first single Mm -hmm. and it's a shame that they didn't get to make videos for the other singles or the other singles didn't get a chance because i really do think that me and Aloy uh, would have made a great first single, or we'll talk about it later, Tilt, which we'll mm-hmm. get into, but I, I feel like that would have probably changed the game a little bit more. There's something kind of mm-hmm. challenging about Walking Shade that I really like, uh, but it definitely is very straightforward for a single, but it's just kind of turning that oscillation dial a little bit, kind of fucking up the song just a tiny, tiny bit where people might be turned off by it, especially like the chorus is kind of strange the way he sings it and stuff and it's just kind of buried underneath this um production Mm -hmm. which i like about it but if you really look at the bones of this again i keep saying that but it kind of has this like almost like it's a, a heart song like a rock feel to it in one section it feels like that and then mm-hmm. it almost has this kind of like rentals or the cars like hidden mm-hmm. under that shoegaze wash you know if you really yeah. listen to like the beat and stuff you're like oh totally. i hear that kind of catchy mm-hmm. kind of cars ish type of feel to it and that chunky distorted bass is great yeah uh, i'm not sure about the placement but uh i think he was right about it where it's apt to h- keep it from trailing off otherwise you have the last three songs kind of being a little too sleepy mm-hmm. uh if you had it um kind of going from uh, I'm ready to that, you know? Yeah. We yeah. Kind of trail totally. off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I agree about the video. We did watch the video recently. Maybe it's just kind of a vic- it, it just fell in a weird time technology-wise because it's kind of like disorienting. Yeah. yeah. It's a little dis- just the sort of animation, the kind of, you know, after effects or whatever of the time is just a little weird to the eye now. And it's, yeah. But um, you're right. And the video is so serious or, or, you know, seemingly serious that you do, it doesn't conjure up the feeling or, or, or references that you mentioned that are more bouncy and kind of, you know, the cars, which is yeah. uh, obviously Rick Ocasek is a huge influence on Billy. And it's one of those ones where, you know, all the rage and all the feelings and stuff that people associate with Billy, you kind of lo- you, you maybe don't pick up on that until you kind of get trained to hear it. But when you yeah. do, you hear it all over the place and it is a big part of his sound. So, but yeah, I think that's a good call. I also think I appreciate the song more now because I am familiar with late seventies, early eighties, uh, synth pop rock. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. feels like it could fit like with missing persons, like that kind of mm-hmm. like band, like that era. Yeah. Uh, it, it just, that I think I have more appreciation for this song, knowing that type of, genre and sound and didn't they do isn't destination unknown missing persons yeah so they've covered they've covered or the pumpkins covered missing persons obviously yeah missing persons fantastic band if you're into kind of like the 80s synth pop i highly recommend you check out their catalog because there's some really good stuff in there yeah All right, well, some people tell you when you're feeling down to go stuff your sorrows in a sack. But I'm going to say stuff your sorrows in blue. I don't know. <laughs> B minus. Uh, it's not A100. No, definitely not. <laughs> Alright, so here's what Billy has to say about Sorrow's parentheses in blue. Now that's a weird one. Besides all things change, I think this song captures what I was trying to say emotionally and sonically with the album. There you go. But it's a strange song, and I don't even know what I'm trying to say exactly. It's definitely a feeling-based song and not at all intellectualized. So that idea is coming back, which I love. Yeah, love that idea. Yeah, it's all it's a mood, a tone poem. Yeah, this is another one that grew like I, I sort of rediscovered here. Did didn't absorb as much back in yep. the day, but really love it, you know? Um Yeah, re- it's got like some real goth kind of drama to it. Yes. Or you know, like some real moodiness, like a theatrical that you know where he says the the sorrows you know yes, like the, the way, the he, way he says at. it yeah it's like he's it's saying like the word sorrows it. but he's performing the word sorrows too you know he sounds yeah. like like sorrow you know like a ghost a sad yeah. like a sorrowful group of ghosts or something speaking of robert smith because this feels very much of like that pornography and faith era bellow that he would 
Robert totally. Smith would have. So when he's singing that, oh, it's yeah. very performative, and it's just yeah, uh, yeah. I this like one it feels the like funeral party or something like you know yes. just a wail, a sad mournful wail of Robert Smith. Holy shit. I mean, this, Pat, I'm, I'm on the same page with you on this one, where it's like, this would be one that I would skip uh, mm. back in 2005. Uh, but now with uh, some context, uh, you know, I, I think that, like, being more open to the things I've gotten into at this time, because it does feel like a little bit like Echo and the Bunny Man, but, like, even, like, the vocals have a Prince-like, kind of mm-hmm. playful or t- attack to it you know yeah the atmosphere of the song is just really really cool um and i love that bridge and that guitar pluck part uh it goes into this kind of like lynchian section it feels how it kind yeah. of like changes and again this that's what makes it feel very adorish to me mm-hmm. it's deceptively upbeat in the second half i just yeah. really like the mood where it goes That part where he goes, I'm here, I'm here, is such an unusual part. It's very operatic, and it's so melodramatic, and I love that. It's just such a unique song. This one really stood out to me this time. I mean, I think these last three songs that we're going to talk about uh, were ones that I think maybe I had like kind of not paid as much attention to when the album came out but this time they really stood out to me to be like whoa this is interesting yeah and this is a great you know example of i mean adore does this really well but bowie like some of the greatest like uh what do you call it berlin trilogy era like bowie albums do this thing where it's like the front half is really cool and it's got like some still experimental but catchy songs yeah but then you get into the bat the, the b-side and it really takes you on a little bit of an experimental journey you know it's more of a it starts to you start to it's less of a track by track experience and it kind of the like this song itself feels like it it has shifts like you said like yeah it's got it like it bounces then it kind of plods along you know like it's lynchian in the fact that it, it in the way that it could be very moody and also jarring you know yeah. it, in ways so um yeah i think this is this 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 is getting into a really cool territory of the album for sure and it, it's starting to work as a as a as an album you know yeah like it's starting to be like a really immersive experience as an album which is great i I think you're right on the money pat was saying about the berlin trilogy because it has very much of that these last couple of songs really had that 
uh, Eno Bowie collaboration mm-hmm. feel to it. And I think yeah. you're absolutely right with that. That's that's exactly where these last tracks live in my mm-hmm. in my mind. Um, and you know, Bowie, we we know him as a pretty pretty star. says about pretty pretty star yes this is the most bowie-esque title imaginable and that's the point is my way of winking and saying that i know what's going on here and i'm not going to pretend i'm not going there i know david halfway decently and i've been open about my love for his work then having played with mike garson who was the aladdin sane pianist and all that stuff my heart is close to that feeling pat what are your thoughts on pretty pretty star this one feels a lot like a Zwan song to me in oh. almost every aspect except the production, which is a significant part of it, you know, because yeah. so much of, of, about this album is the way it's um, made, not just the basics of the song. But I love the kind of rusty, spacey electric guitar sound. It makes me think about our pal um, Huron John, who came on, and like the way he distills his pumpkins kind of influence into these different sounds, this kind of plucky, like um, synthy, but still moody and capturing kind of the emotional heartstring tugging talents of Billy Corgan. But I think it's like a new kind of like ditty for Billy at the time. And yeah, I, I the guitar solo around t- the 220 mark is just so, just done so beautifully. It's got this kind of bent, distorted sound that's yeah. just so pleasing to my ear. And I think, yeah, it's yet another example of how a band, this will be the last time I mentioned Beach House, but this feels, I've, I've, I've teased this that I feel a strong connection between the two and listening to this album has really clarified that maybe this is what I was thinking of the whole time, this album. Mm-hmm. But um, really unique song and again, one that I, has really come alive for me upon listening to it recently as opposed to back in the day. Yeah, same. I think this feels like a song he could have written for a pop star, you know, because at that time right. he was kind of writing, you know, songs for other people. I mean, he still does, but uh, they would have, I feel like if he wrote this for a pop star, they would have made it a hit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the layer of the robot vocoder too is kind of cool. Um, but for me, my favorite part of the song is that kind of guitar scrapes and tones at the end during the yeah. It's Me and You and All I Choose, which I mm-hmm. love that lyric. That one really mm-hmm. stood out to me, but 
I'm always going to be a sucker for the distorted flange sound, you know, the, yeah. the big cure and failure type of uh, guitar, mm-hmm. you know, effect sound, uh, the vibes of that. And that guitar lead is right there up that alley that you talked about. It's like, yep, that's I'm 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 sold. You know, it just has yeah. such an amazing shoegaze sound there at the end. So I think like before it wasn't my favorite because it felt too poppy uh, for me. But mm-hmm. then knowing the full package and of the album and how the song progresses, I, I really liked it. Yeah. And it yeah. does feel Bowie because this song in particular just has this kind of pluckiness to it. Um, which we'll get into the next song, but uh, yeah, I I think it's great. Pretty, pretty yeah, dark. and I mean it, that's that's the thing that uh, David Bowie obviously and Billy Corgan obviously there's a you know strong connection there. They you like Billy really, you know you don't even have to say it with Dave, someone like David yeah. Bowie. It's like the the influence is strong on literally everybody who came afterwards. You know, yeah. um, but Bowie he he had such an ability to do really good catchy pop songs but just such an affinity for uh, or just such a not even affinity but like it was just like in him to constant the constant drive to make new sounds and use things in different ways while kind of putting it through the filter of his just knack for a good pop song you know which billy definitely has you know he's he's and you mentioned radiohead earlier not to get too uh, abstract here but like um I feel like, you know, Radiohead was kind of where you could argue, while rock radio was like getting pretty shitty and redundant and sort of like, you know, a parody of itself. Like, uh, like I definitely didn't hear this album on my rock radio station. Like, kind of yeah. ironically, like it probably would just never have fit, even though ten years earlier, like they, were, Billy was like defining what even alternative rock is you know or helping to um but i feel like the difference between billy and someone like tom york or a band like radiohead which definitely has catchy songs but like billy is so he almost could never help for too like billy's never gonna do purely um pure noise or pure he's too he's too prone to like he loves a good song too much you know what i mean he loves to to, he loves a a good catchy um song that is like both appealing to music heads but like but appealing to anybody who just has a you know is listening you know like 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 he'll always be challenging but he's always going to come back to this sort of pop um sensibility sensibility which david bowie was always like even yep. in his final album which is awesome um it's kind of one of the more um you know out there albums he had done in a while but still you you hear like there's moments on that album where i'm like oh i'm hearing like the labyrinth songs now like i'm hearing like the you know yeah this like he can't help it so i don't know that was a bit of a tangent but we met, like just in terms of where Billy was going, and he's a he's a pop songwriter. Uh, he's a, he's many things, but one of them is like a kind of good pop songwriter. So that's on display. He does care. He does want people to like the songs, you know. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that comparison has been made a lot, where they're like, why does Radiohead get you know accolades for changing their sound every album, but then Billy Corgan gets shit mm-hmm. for it? 
and because yeah. you know Radiohead, they're they're so kind of aloof and you know mm-hmm. closed off, and I think people conflate that with like being like, oh, they're real artists. And yeah. meanwhile, when Billy slits his wrist and you know allows you to drink, you know, it just like yeah, yeah. you know, it just feels like he's like here, here I am, and mm-hmm. people are like, nah, you, it's too much for me, you know. I feel like I know he gets lost in that, you know. Yeah, I know, and I guess not that we're being forced to choose, and I like both bands, but yeah. over time, I've found myself still more drawn to Billy stuff that I've kind of lost track of Radiohead. Yeah. Which I will, I'm sure, get reconnect with at some point. But you can kind of penetrate the wall a little bit more with Billy. Like, he's human. You know, sometimes yeah. in ways that it's like, I don't know, I can connect a little bit more with his humanity, I guess. And his imperfections or his, you know, whatever. You don't have to choose sides. But if I have a gun to my head, there's something about Billy that feels like I can relate to it. You know, yeah. I don't know if it's like a working class spirit about music or something or being a wrestling fan he likes the show of it all or what but it's yeah it's it's always you know been appealing well people have accused frank and i of being dirty dogs but this next song is for the strays (laughs) we've been accused of that no. <laughs> no. What's farther than? What's farther than the noonday sun? You know I'm true. I wasn't one to follow. I wasn't born to follow you are what you are to me. Alright, this is what Billy has to say about strays. This is just one of those things we did and everybody loved it. If I even brought up ever taking it off, there would have been a mutiny, which was nice. The guys I was working with on this album really made an emotional investment in this music. They really helped me fight for the idea that the best music should be on the album, and I hope that it is. I couldn't agree more, and I will say, for all the songs on this album, this one had, and it's one of the most vulnerable, kind of quiet ones on here, probably the most, but this kind of blew me away more than anything. Same. I think. Same. It's so, it's got to be up there with one of the most, you know, honestly fits with the album art concept a little bit, like nakedly vulnerable, but also brutally honest and a little bit unafraid to like be fully who he is, warts and all that I've ever heard Billy in terms of songwriting. It's yeah. equal parts, honest, beautiful, like brutal, like cold, warm, fond, and bitter all at once. And I very much feel like this is his sort of meditation on the end of the Smashing Pumpkins. It feels tied to um, 17 slash Blist and Gone. Like it feels like an, almost an extension of that song. Yeah. 
love i mean lyrically it's really strong um i feel like you could we you know you could spend time analyzing every lyric but brutally real and the way i'm seeing it is you know he's talking about the pumpkins um aware of the impact and legacy but also aware of how fleeting everything is in life and then the thing the lyric i love the most is I take things down, I play chess from both sides now. Yeah. I think that's an amazingly honest Billy Corgan lyric because A, he's confessing to being a chess player, which we all kind of know he is, you know, like he, it, it, like in terms of interpersonal dynamics and music and career and all that stuff. And, you know, there's the Joni Mitchell reference baked into that, obviously. And it just feels like he's kind of giving like, it's like this explanation almost to his former bandmates and fans, but yet it's not an apology. It's like he's standing firm in this personality that makes him Billy Corgan. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, kind of acknowledging, I don't know. What did you think about that? I, I, no. I was, I'm like, I feel like there's a lot baked into the song and it's pretty unique. There aren't a lot of songs that Billy puts out there quite like this. Yes, yes. This one really bowled me over. This one I don't think I paid attention to at the time. I probably just didn't get to it. But man, this one really bowled me over uh, this listen, you know, these listens. Because um, mm -hmm. it almost feels improvised, you know? There's parts of the yeah. song where it feels like almost like a little bit improvised. And it has this sparseness that to it that like, I wrote down, um, I really dig the soft vocals with the warm mix and that it makes it feels like a slinky black cat out after midnight, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that yeah. like, I like the sparseness of this track because it feels like Talk Talk's Laughing Stock or Spirit of Eden. If you've ever listened to those albums, huge atmosphere on those albums and just really incredible. Mm -hmm. And this gives me that feel. I love the fact that Billy gets to stretch his legs like this. It really makes me appreciate his output. This one in particular. And mm -hmm. I, I get what you're saying. I think it, I, I see that. I see mm -hmm. that about like the comments on the band and where he is. However, it, it, there's a bit of a rug pull based off of what we know about the day this album was released, right. the ad he took out in the paper yeah. and then the stories of him uh, after the shows that he would play and like apologize to his fans and being like, don't worry, the pumpkins are coming back where he yeah. almost undersold it, where this, this feels like such a great, it almost like reluctantly, uh, not reluctantly, but like a proclamation of like, this is who I am. This mm -hmm. is what I will be. And this is just, I, he has the, the line wasn't born to follow. 
Yeah, totally. And that's like put it on my gravestone type of thing for Billy. Yes. You know, I feel like that's what he hangs his hat on at the end of the day. Which, side note, that part. I wasn't born to follow. Sounds uh, like the part from That's the Way My Love Is. They'll say. I thought that was interesting that that kind yeah. of goes back with um, Zeitgeist. But mm-hmm. I, I mean, I really love this. I love the atmosphere of it. I like the weird end drop. Uh, it, it is a little weird to end the album on, but it feels very Bowie esque to me. Kind of what you're talking about, Berlin trilogy. This feels like yeah, a closing you know, Bowie esque for sure. Yeah. 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 By by the way, I mean, I think we've talked about this before, but how like how is he? never gotten to work with brian eno and how cool would that be theoretically you know i think so i mean like the work he did with you two and just talking heads and bowie it just kind of feels like it's it's right there it's right there mm-hmm. but i'm sure maybe there's something it's like too perfect to ever maybe or, yeah yeah because seemingly too perfect you get close with it with alan Mulder and flood you know like you right. have kind of proxies there but it just yeah, maybe this is something that Bowie was like. He's like, you know, like no lad, don't don't deal with him. You know, like he kind of knows right. like the personalities, and he's just like keeping them apart. But uh, sure, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, there was a review on uh, PM Review about this song that says it captures the naked emotion that can't be feigned. This quieter side, held hostage by his introspection, is really what I would like to see him explore more fully. Adore was an intriguing step in that direction, but he needs to let let himself go even more. Throw that heart on the table, feel it thump, watch it cough out the remaining blood, and listen intently as it whispers its deepest secrets. That's what this song feels like it's doing. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's, I won't even say this is Billy without his defenses up because in a way it's a defensive song. He's defending his, not even position, but like him, his personhood, you know, yeah. like, but it's, oh, there's another line. You are what you are to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm really stuck on this being about like his former bandmates and stuff. And like, this is like almost being like a pretty like yeah something that could be read as like fond or really mean like really scathing like you like i made you in a way or something like you you exist in the like you exist in terms of how i you know make you exist or how i feel you exist or something maybe that's (sighs) overthinking it but it's I don't know. It feels like it's such a naked song that he is letting you in on some real vulnerable, you know, introspection, but also some kind of like some of the aspects of his personality that people have kind of got on his case for over the years. You know what I mean? He's embracing that, which I think is really cool. I think that's artistically very exciting for Billy Corgan to sort of, um, you know, I don't know, play like, to to do that so i know what you mean yeah yeah it's different like it's it's a little bit i don't know simultaneously like completely unguarded yet still guarded yet 
in a really honest way. I don't know. Hard to describe, and I could, you know, you could analyze it a lot. I think the lyrics. I mean, we know that feeling that he has about. It. I mean, with the the circus analogy that he gives in Vuforia. Right. I mean, it's kind of clear with that. You know, yeah. he's like, oh, the I, gifts I shared. You know, yeah. like I brought my gifts to the table. You know, totally. Yeah. This song is actually the most. I think that feels uh, like uh, in line with the artwork. Mm-hmm. This to me is like when I hear this song, this is where I'm uh, relating the artwork to. You're totally right because it's naked and you know um, people. You know he he war, people say warts and all. Like you know he's he's showing his like actual like sk- yes yeah, sk- he's got like a skin uh, condition that is like you know. I mean, honestly, in a way that, and it's funny too, because I feel like he's got sort of like a patchy skin thing happening with different like pigmentation. And that's something that in recent years, since this time, like the fashion world has embraced like models and stuff. There are like supermodels who have like vitiligo and have like, you know, like two-tone like skin coloring and stuff. And people have, that's like, been embraced the beauty in that i feel like we've collectively been able to embrace a little more and it's kind of like i don't know billy's kind of always been singing about that it's like take me as i am is another like later lyric that you know kind of i don't know i i I guess i'm i'm this is like i'm just throwing stuff at the wall here but i totally agree this fits the vibe of the visual presentation that he's giving with this album art for sure absolutely i mean just yeah he's just on full display where he used to cover it up completely and now it's it's there yeah yeah to the point where even as big fans like i maybe we talked about this at some point i didn't it's one of those things where it's like oh yeah i've i realize now that i've never seen you in short sleeves before you know what i mean like for all the photos and all the videos and all the everything like it yeah it's just one of those things you never would have thought about but it's like oh yeah i've never seen billy's bare arms before but now i have and now i know what they look like and Mm -hmm. there you go That's the end of the proper album. Uh, and now we're going to get into a, a track that was a extra. Uh, it was left off the album, but it was an iTunes bonus track. And later it was included on the Target exclusive multi-artist compilation album, Red Room Volume 4. We're talking about Tilt. So, uh, Pat, what are your feelings on Tilt? 
I got some hot takes on Tilt. Oh, boy. Um, I really dug it. I was not familiar with it, actually, just because, yeah, it wasn't the version of the album I had. Didn't have the iTunes, you know, version. Um, had the CD. But to me, it sounds like being on a carousel made up of all prior aspects of the pumpkins, of, like, sounds of the pumpkins. Mm-hmm. And my hot take, let me ask you, does this song remind you in any way of a very popular mainstream Smashing Pumpkins song. Is uh, there any that comes to mind when you listen to this? Because I had a strong... Today? Yes. I feel like this sounds more like Today than any other song I can think of. And even if you get to about around 158, you can really hear what I'm talking about where it even sounds kind of like the riff. It also kind of had like Machina shades to it. It has yeah. it sounded like to me. It's it's it makes me think of a song like the Sacred and Profane. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's a really interesting song, and it, it does make me feel like being on a carousel. The kind of like pacing of it, you know. Yeah. What do you think? This feels like a Deftones meets the Cars listening to Weezer song Mm -hmm. it has that kind of that groove to it like that distortion but it has that kind of like catchiness to it um i am of the 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 thought that this would have been a massive hit if he Mm -hmm. had uh released this as his single for the album Mm -hmm. but i think this was a situation of like let me give the world to you Right. Where he could it's recognize too, that, but he's yeah. like, this isn't what I'm, this is too close to what I did. Mm-hmm. And I think that I need to, um, I, I need to separate myself a little bit more. Cause when you listen to the album, this sounds way too much like his, his past, but I could see why he left it off. But I love mm-hmm. this song. I really yeah. do. And I really, I don't know. I, it really gets me going, and I just think it's one of his best of this era. Uh, but I can see with him being like, no, we got to kind of stay away from this, which is yeah. insane to me, but makes perfect sense because it's pretty totally. endemic and straightforward. And those strings, too, and that little key change part, it's like it's got a hit written all over it. Um, mm-hmm. It ends weird, but it's, it's cool. I, I could see this like you could put this in a movie now like yeah and it would be a hit i think it would be i don't know i i I really like this track and i can see why it was left off but i don't know it's it's uh and we'll get into this with our bonus episode that we're gonna do for patreon when we get to the other songs but there's some other songs like many and Mm -hmm. some of the covers they do too live that uh could have been like pretty catchy big hits but i can see why he left it off Mm -hmm. and it kind of makes me wonder what what the second solo album would have sounded like if he had not gotten the pumpkins back together yeah i don't know what are your thoughts yeah i agree i mean i feel like you're probably right like the fact that we so immediately connected with it or it's like so easy to get on board with was probably why he felt like oh it's too easy um and yeah, I kind of can't get past the fact that it does remind me so much of one of the Pumpkins' biggest 
hits. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, 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 so, which is both what I like about it, but both, but I, you know, completely maybe what it make what makes it not really. I won't say it doesn't fit on this album because, you know, preparing for this episode, I've been listening to this in this sequence, you know, like the album proper followed by Tilt as the 13th track. And it does fit and it does work in a way. Um, But yeah, I don't know. And I also didn't know it either. This was, this was, um, I just missed this. So yeah, I was not familiar with this one. I just kind of missed it. Um, Yeah. So yeah, it's cool. I, I really dig it too. That's that's what I'll say. It, it reminds me of the Pumpkins more than a lot of these songs, um, and uh, and it's it's still pretty unique though in in its way, you know. Yeah, it's, it, yeah. It's got it's got its own thing going on as well. I I mean I think that uh, this almost feels like it was like written for like it was separate. Like it could have been written for a soundtrack. Yeah, and it just mm-hmm. like got rejected for whatever reason and they're like well let's put it as an itunes extra i wanted it on the album but it doesn't really fit on the album right so yeah right. that makes perfect sense yeah um yeah so that's uh that's the future embrace um we we reached out to our patreon members to see what they had to say about the future embrace and here's what they have to say uh the deep dive channel slash justin says oh man i love this album slash era short and sweet steve aka wings glued on says i will be honest this album was not what i was looking for when it came out years later i went back to it and with multiple listens fell in love he also goes on to say when the walking shade video was released expectations were set pretty high i remember wearing that video out if that's even possible to do with the digital medium love the aesthetic and love the sound particularly the way his voice was produced during the i just want you so etc lines of the pre-chorus gave me a door vibes at the time of its release my favorite the future embrace tracks were the aforementioned walking shade mina loy now and then and tilt i remember pasting lyrics from the latter two tracks on my aim away message you could really express yourself on those oh, away messages you know and that's buddy sort of i did oh yeah and that's what you could get really really moody in those two yeah um yeah thank you thank you for your thoughts steve he goes on to reference um a live journal uh that billy wrote about a release party that um that you could check out billy's old live journal is still live online um david jepson says i'll always be a big fan of this record now and then is one of my favorite tracks in the whole corgan pumpkins catalog it's such a beautiful haunting song and it feels like billy is right there singing to you it is one of a few hidden gems on the album pretty pretty star being another overall the future embrace is another example of an underrated and underappreciated album that was ahead of its time Mm -hmm. and evangelina says there's something so adult about future embrace i'm not saying any pumpkins album before that was childish it's just so different it's a side of billy that i had never seen and welcomed wholeheartedly the electronica he only touched on in a door was out in full force now, and today I appreciate that album so much more. We as fans sometimes pine for the old and feared change. Thank God Billy doesn't listen to his fans. Yeah. So true. Yeah, totally. Great points, especially. Yeah, it, it, there is something so adult about it, you know? It, it, it's And that doesn't make the old stuff childish, but it, it's... Um, yeah, I guess he's just dealing with 
with well we've talked about this too like so many like al- albums like Siamese Dream and even kind of Melancholy to an extent are still kind of processing youth you know yeah. whereas this is dealing with being an adult granted yeah. it's a unique kind of rock star adult but adulthood nonetheless maturing like, yeah things are in the rear view major things that felt like everything are over you know that's a lot to process so yeah great great points adults only for this one guy <laughs> that's um, why we have the then, explicit on the yeah. the thing yeah yeah um and then just a little just on the artwork the album art the photos uh they were taken by pr brown who also directed the walking shade video mm-hmm. brown is well known for his album designs for musicians such as audio slave motley crew corn the used god smack and early in his career he gained a particular notoriety for his work with marilyn manson Mm-hmm. And who doesn't? Who doesn't gain the notoriety from the work with <laughs> Marilyn <laughs> Manson? Associated. Now more than ever, yeah. that notoriety is, uh, yeah. Well, that is the future embrace, uh, and we'll be covering some extra stuff on the Patreon. Uh, we might have one little kind of bonus thing for the main feed, but otherwise, the Patreon stuff uh, we'll we'll be kind of exploring a little bit more there. And, uh, yeah, I was really excited to, to get to this era. And like I said, I was a little bummed out, you know, knowing that like he kind of undercut this. I think people didn't give it a chance cause he wasn't even taking it. It felt like seriously after the right. fact. And I, I know because yeah. of that, it really got buried. And I know he likes to say like, well, no, but everybody hated it. But like most of the reviews I read were very positive positive. And yes, mm-hmm. fans didn't quite get it, but he kind of almost didn't give them a chance to. Um, right. Because right away he's like, ah, never mind. You wanted the pumpkins. Here's the pumpkins. And uh, we're going to be back. And, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, after shows being like, I know that sucked. Sorry, but, you know, pumpkins will be back. And it just kind of undercut a lot of what's great about this album. And I get it. You know, it's hard. It's hard to be in that position. It's very hard to be in this position, this vulnerable and. Mm-hmm. put something out that you really love and then you know fans immediately kind of toss it off or make fun of it or whatever but it's a really i loved it when it came out but i especially have a newfound you know with with this you know uh tw- 2005 frank couldn't really appreciate the nuances in this but uh 40 year old 2022 frank uh really loves this album yeah yeah uh, yeah, I agree, and I th- I think maybe we'll probably I guess we'll probably get into this when we actually do soon start touching on the reformed pumpkins and zeitgeist. But yeah, yeah, which I've been I, listening I, to a lot. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It is a, it's like you know it's both cool. It was very cool and exciting that the pumpkins were going to reunite, but it felt like um, you hate to think that this really solid piece of work. Uh, Billy was like, you know, I don't know, like kind of cowed into like thinking it sucked or even, even like, you know, dissing it himself, you know, like it's, this is nothing to be ashamed of. It's far from it. It's a piece of work to be proud of. I think ultimately it enters the sort of catalog of just, you know, different great music that, that he's made over the years. So that's great. And I think probably 
I mean, if you're if you're a Pumpkins fan and you have made it this far in the episode uh, and you haven't delved into the album, <laughs> I, we hope you do ultimately because it's yeah, very rewarding. But yeah, I guess we'll get more into the psychology or uh, you know behind why the Pumpkins came back and why this you know didn't continue um, when we when we get to that stuff. But it's like uh, Jeff Schroeder was saying, who, you know, it comes into play pretty soon now in, in the timeline. We, you know, we kind of asked him about, like, is it tough to sort of put something out there and, you know, that you think is, like, really great and, but, like, the fans maybe don't aren't ready for it. And he made the important point, which is, like, we don't even necessarily know if it's great at the time. It's like we yeah. we are we are prone to doubt and like questioning and like we, we're not immune to like public and critical response and all that stuff, which is so natural. Like, of course yeah. not, you know. So, it, it, as much as a lot of these do age into things that fans can really catch up with and get behind, like you know, at the time. Uh, yeah, I sympathize. I sympathize with, and I totally relate to Billy feeling like, oh, maybe this was a failure. Maybe people, you know, whatever. But yeah, it's not. It's a really solid album. Very cool. Very forward thinking. Um, the kind of thing that really pays off for a, a look back, uh, yep. deep listen. So, yeah, glad we got to do it. Yeah, and now we're gonna be entering into the Zeitgeist uh, era. And mm-hmm. uh, tentatively titled Geist Fest 22. <laughs> Last year we had Machina Summer, and this summer we'll be covering that era of Zeitgeist. And I'm really excited because yes. I've been revisiting the album. And uh, spoiler alert, Pat, I've really come to come around to it. Yeah, I got to dive into it. Yeah, Geist Fest. Or, you know, maybe we'll come up with a better way to brand it. But because <laughs> yeah. we, yeah. we, we don't want to lean too much into the Z thing because we exhausted that. Yeah, we really did with Swan. So, yeah. yeah. But anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for taking this journey with us. And hopefully you do give this album a second chance. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. Check us out. Follow us on the socials. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash smashingpumpcast. Check out our merch in our link tree on our Instagram, which is at smashingpumpcast, spelled K-A-S-T. TikTok, Twitter. Check us out. Hit us up. Email us, too, at thesmashingpumpcast at gmail.com. Yes, that's right. And if you do sign up, for our Patreon at the Adore level, you will uh, get to think of something that you want to talk about as a guest on our show. So if we missed something or if there's some aspect of something that you're really jonesing to talk about with us, yeah, that could be you who is our guest. So uh, until next time, we will embrace the future and see you down the road. And until then... We bid you a fond farewell and, and good, good night. night.